Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge, a monthly radio show and podcast featuring interviews about extraordinary advances in the area of peace and conflict studies happening at or around Columbia University. Each month, we feature interviews with scientists and thought leaders who are conducting groundbreaking work aimed at managing conflict constructively and sustaining peace both locally and globally. My name is Peter T. Coleman, and I'm coming to you from the studios of WKCR at Columbia University. The show is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And now for today's show. I'm Meredith Smith, and I'm the host of today's show. And I'm excited to be in the studio uh, here at Columbia with two wonderful friends and special guests. Um, the first is a colleague and friend, Drew Pham, who is my uh, counterpoint at the Conflict Resolution Center that's housed at Teachers College here on campus. Welcome, Drew. Hi, Meredith. And um, also we're joined here by Ali Deneen. Ali is a singer, songwriter, and artist who works around New York City and Brooklyn, who I'm so uh, delighted to have here today. Hi, Meredith. And um, you'll get to hear some of that wonderful music throughout the show. Um, I think I wanted to start by telling our listeners about how we all met. Um, so Allie was a musician that performed and joined in a conversation that was in an event that was at Teachers College last April called Soundtrack of War. And um, I'm going to let Drew tell a little bit more about where uh, Soundtrack of War fits um, and how it, it came to be. So we, um, and this it, this was happening closer to uh, Memorial Day and also May Day. So these are two important dates that we had in mind. We partnered with uh, Intersections International, which is a social justice incubator that has a number of different programs among them. Um, uh, an LGBT rights initiative, um, uh, arts and uh, community initiative, and, and the Service Together, which seeks to uh, unite or bridge the civil-military divide. Um, and, yeah, Soundtrack of War, uh, the intent was to have this musical conversation about um, the conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan, but also to have kind of a historical perspective on it, um, how it's engaged uh, people in the in the body politic um, from like the Civil War through World War One and Vietnam and the uh, draft resistance movement uh, and anti-war movement. So that's that's how Ali ended up getting involved as as a folk artist because that was one of the one of the things that um, we thought about was how folk music was um, activating uh, so much of this discontent that was happening in, at the time thank you drew yeah I think um, that the event had a wonderful dialogue that it, it brought about also in giving a historical look, like you said, at the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and also just at kind of the um, the folk music of the 60s um, also and tying in how these musicians and 
music really within America has does it have a role in protest and or its role as protest yeah as protest as propaganda as um, even just uh, expressing uh, this deep emotional sorrow and longing that comes with um, these conflicts and it 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 isn't just armed military conflict, but it can be the kind of the kinds of structural conflicts that are inextricably woven into this this fabric of our society. You know, we we send young men off to war, and we also send young men off to to prison, mass incarceration, and these these things. Even though they seem like they're completely separate ideas concepts they, they are i mean economically tied to each other that structurally they they behave so similarly and like when young men and women and women come out of each situation i mean they're 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 changed and, and it, it's sometimes difficult from a like a psychological psychiatric um perspective to distinguish you know Who's the who's the veteran? Who's the mm. civilian victim of warfare? Who's and who's the the uh, like recently rele- released prisoner? Mm. Yeah, I'm um, want to pull Ali into the conversation and um, Ali, can you tell us about what was the passion behind your involvement in Soundtrack of War? Yes. Well. I was brought in by Eli Smith, who is a folk musician. He plays with a group called the Downhill Strugglers and sometimes with other groups and is also a very important person for a lot of musicians in in New York today um, and for folk music in New York because he's a great organizer of folk music. He organizes the Brooklyn Folk Festival and the Washington Square Park Folk Festival so he was asked um, by Molly from Intersections, I believe, they were, that was the connection, to curate the music for this evening, or most of it. Um, and he called upon mostly, or maybe entirely, people who are involved in this kind of underground folk music movement here in New York, a lot of which is centered around Jalopy Theater and Tavern, which is a, a venue in Brooklyn, um, in Red Hook, that's it is a venue, but it's a very special place. It also has a luthier shop where you can get your instruments fixed or buy instruments, and it has a lot of classes going on all the time, all week, and on the weekends. And they have kids' classes and adults have choirs, vocal harmony. You could take banjo, fiddle, uh, harmonica, sometimes washboard even, mm-hmm. and it's. Uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a special and really important place. It's a home for a lot of people. So I think Eli asked me to do it because he was starting to get to know my music and to get to know me. Um, and I was really glad for the opportunity because I don't know, I don't know that he had heard some of my songs that are relevant or deal with conflict and <coughs> certain certain things that are happening in our country today or that he knew this was something that I'm interested in and passionate about specifically um, mass incarceration and the the resistant movement movement of resistance against it 
Um, but it, it was a great, yeah, I was so grateful for being able to do it because it was the first time that I felt uh, I had the opportunity to share my music in that context and in a context where people were actively engaging with some of the questions that I try to ask and talk about whenever I perform, but it, it was really special to have it sort of laid out for me in that way. What and kinds of questions are you are you thinking? <laughs> 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 the questions less specifically about the wars you mentioned mm -hmm. um, for me personally uh, those aren't things I've thought as much about but um, what kind of questions? Questions of what power does music have to build solidarity to bring people together to raise awareness about certain things or spark interest or spark dialogue about certain things mm -hmm. um, you know music is a really it's it can reach a lot of different kinds of people and it is accessible in a way that statistics and news pieces sometimes aren't um partly because it's a deeply emotional thing and you know, biologically speaking it I don't know if that's right. Physiologically, mm -hmm. <laughs> the vibrations are, they affect you in, in all sorts of ways. So there's a lot of things going on on a lot of different levels. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's just, that's something I'm constantly wondering is how is for myself as a performer, how, how does all that play into the music that I'm making and yeah. sp thinking sp about specific issues that I think are important. And I think, people like we all need to be paying more attention to and mm -hmm. incorporating into our daily awareness um and our daily lives and how we choose to live oh that's interesting because i was just talking to my um my new friend uh roy scranton who's the um, author of a recent novel called war porn which is about um the uh, war in Iraq, but it it takes takes on that issue from like a number of different perspectives, not just the soldier, but the civilian here at America, and um, an Iraqi academic who has to take a job as an interpreter because he knows English. And one of the, the he said much the same thing. It's like, well, in a time where we have this kind of Manichaean structure laid out for us where you're either Democrat or Republican. It's good or bad, left or right, black or white. I mean, like, um, all, uh, you can't, it's, it's hard to convince people with statistics and it's hard to take facts and say, Hey, um, this is, this is what's going on. Um, uh, but you can tell stories and that's, that's what grabs people. And that's, that's a huge part of why, we, a, a kind of a very hard science peace studies consortium, um, decided to do an arts programming event because in order to draw people in, um, I know last time we talked about, you know, calling, calling people in, mm -hmm. um, like you need to have that emotional hook. In this current time with the elections and kind of all these um, headlines about divided states of America and how divided our country is and like Drew was referring to um, the two-party 
system, like you're either this or you're that. Um, there was this quote that I was reading the other day. It was like, uh, rather than be being one two-party nation, we're becoming two one-party nations. And it's, I don't know if that's just the media kind of creating uh, more fury and um, attention on the division than that's necessary, but the way that music can bring people together across different groups or divisions and in this divisive uh, time. Mm. Um, it's like you're already sharing so many insights about how music does that. A memory is coming to mind, which is not... <laughs> it's nothing profound, but the other night I actually had a, a show the night of the debates. Um, and... I went in and played this show was while the debates were on and it was a great show um a new band that me and a few friends have started and we had a great time and then you know I went out onto the street at Jalopy is that Jalopy so there's a bar and a theater and people they're both part of Jalopy but people sort of hang out outside going between the two and you would see people coming out of the bar where their debate was being screened just like you know, like their hand to their face or just shaking their head. They're like, I can't go back in there. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I went in there and um, there was a crowd of people, a lot of people who I knew and a few people like, hi, and greeted me, but then immediately just turned back to this, you know, to the screen and to what was happening there. And I mean, I was just very grateful. I had to be grateful that that's where I was not that I was in a bar <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> not because I could drink but that I was there with with the community of people that I love and that we could laugh together <laughs> about some of what was going on on the on the tv screen and that we could go next door and and listen to incredible music after and before um cleanse the palate so to speak <laughs> you, you know that that makes what, what both of you brought up that makes me think of so I'm reading um, Peter Moss's Love Thy Neighbor, which is about the, the Yugoslav Wars. And the point, the point that he makes as strenuously as he can the whole time is despite um, all the terrible, horrible things that are happening, he, he always points to the fact that this like kind of the banality of that evil, that these are everyday normal people and very often they're they're good people and people who take no joy in um, in this case you know committing genocide against Muslims in Yugoslavia in the early 90s and I th I think about that when I think about you know the so-called other side if we want to you know bifurcate ourselves in that way um, because a person who's on voting for another candidate or another party and is supposed to be on the opposite end of this 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 issue or this divide um, they're they're normal people and more more often than not they're good people and you know perhaps you know we by voting you you're I inshallah we're not <laughs> like participating or being complicit in in something like genocide um, mm. or something of that magnitude but we are all kind of in our own ways complicit in these systems that 
act upon our, our community. And, and it makes me think of um, one of your songs <laughs> that you know, speaks directly to that. Yeah, I think I know which song you're talking about. <laughs> and that was the one that I played at the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, These hands? Is that? That is that's not the name of it, but it has that uh-huh. line. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's something that I, I think about a lot is just a need for um, greater compassion. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of conflict and cruelty and violence in the whole world comes from people from fear and from lack of compassion for that people people don't have compassion for themselves and for others and it's been my experience that the more you are able to be compassionate to yourself the more you can do that for others and i don't mean letting yourself off the hook or something like that i think people might might interpret it that way when they hear that but i mean that when you go through something very difficult and you have to you may be sort of broken down in a certain way and you have to you have to really look at yourself and come very close to yourself and learn to be gentle with yourself and be forgiving of yourself um this is my experience and in those times when that has happened for me then like much more able to understand that everybody goes through these goes through everybody goes through suffering and experiences these things and um it can be in like little ways too like i've caught myself i ride my bike around new york a lot and that's a time when i sometimes get very angry which i know is true for a lot of bikers (laughs) because it's it's kind of a good chance to release anger because nobody can really hear you or is paying attention (laughs) they're in cars but you know i'll be biking and get mad at a pedestrian who's jaywalking like wow if i were a pedestrian right now i would be jaywalking (laughs) (laughs) that's like a very mundane example but the city also something that can be really challenging but i find also amazing is it um sort of challenges you to do that again and again you can walk around and be so angry in new york so frustrated because there's like constant chaos and activity and you could see it as like all these people getting in your way if you're in a bad mood that's Uh probably how you see it but if you can step back or if you're in a good mood um (laughs) try to remember that all these other bodies walking around are having human experiences like you then it makes it makes the experience a lot richer and a lot easier i think and that's a lot to hold you know and sometimes maybe impossible and sometimes you need to just be be alone and be in a bad mood but i just yeah i think i have a question about that um Especially, so in the current climate with the tensions around uh, politics, do you feel that it's changed the way you play or where you play? Hmm. Not at this point, not where I play. Um, But something I think about is I want to book a tour within the next year. I'm releasing this album in December of new work and I would like to book a tour um like over a a large territory of the United or just across a lot of the United States um 
not planned yet so i don't know where but something i think about is not wanting to just perform in you know bars or venues or or like house shows of friends i I do want to do those things and they're mm. they're very fulfilling in a certain way and last time we talked about critical spaces and spaces where you gather with community and sometimes with like-minded people or creating safe spaces for certain dialogues um so like those kinds of shows might might be that for me and i'd be grateful but i'd also like to perform in unconventional venues um, i've thought about like trying to perform in halfway houses or rehab centers or nursing homes um, or also venues where people might not be like-minded and might have different ideas um, and carrying certain material with me like zines and uh, mm. making relevant art that I feel like would allow me to maybe talk to people from very different part of the country who may have very different ideas about some of this stuff and it's sort of what you spoke what you mentioned yeah. before calling in and not out of not like i'm gonna go across the country and tell people <laughs> what they should think but calling in like yeah finding ways to discuss have dialogue about these things instead of just get angry or sh or block out and it's a lot harder i think and it, it would be hard for me but yeah that's like actually exact like what, what you just what you're describing is exactly what a critical space is supposed to be because it's it is to um a physical like area um or a conceptual one um what dissent is mm -hmm. to a democracy i mean it's it's supposed to kind of inject new meaning and force like uh synthesis out of um like this this these sets of circumstances that we um try to create as organically as possible i guess i i feel like we should um let our listeners hear that song that um i want to know the title of that has your hands in it um the title is river song Give a hand that can steal mm. 
Shackles are still steel, the walls are still stone. Don't look away, don't look away. And I've watched a prison go up stone by stone. It's watching a They cage and they Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, Drew, I wanted to go back to something you had just brought up earlier in the conversation about how, um, well, I'm kind of thinking two things. One, about art and using art to bring, to engage people on a difficult topic. And then also this, well, I'm, I'm thinking of the war porn idea that you mentioned and kind of how do you, when you're trying to work on a social justice issue, how do you kind of consciously um, bring about an a space where the purpose is to activate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, Orwell wrote this interesting, this great essay on writing. Um, and he lists a number of reasons for why we tell stories among them are like just sheer egotism. Um, but also, there's a political purpose, so like a propagandistic purpose. There's, um, you know, aesthetics. There's, uh, I, I don't know. Um, and all the reasons escape me. But it is to say that whether we want to or not, all the stories that we do tell are political. If, if you're intent is to be apolitical then 
then that is a political statement in and of itself. Um, on the other hand, uh, you can't ignore like the aesthetic quality of that story. If if it is just propaganda, then just put a person in, on on a podium and have them shout at a crowd. Um, th- what like the aesthetic part of art does is it allows us to emotionally connect with a particular issue. Um, and otherwise, yeah, we are trapped in in this kind of very dizzying land of complex situations and facts and figures. Mm. Um, there are certainly people with a wherewithal to, to pay, pay attention to that, but for the rest of us to have awareness before we can even think uh, think about like acting um like we have to understand that that issue um so i think with with the anti-war movement um as distinct from like the draft resistance movement the anti anti-war movement um the music music was necessary uh, to bring people to to the table to talk about it, um, I think that we could use more music to talk about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. We could definitely use more music to talk about being anti-war and what that is supposed to look like in you know in a world that seems to most viewers is is just like every corner of it is. Um, on fire um and so it's easy to just like ignore it and and look at it and be like oh it's all terrible um and that's a defense mechanism you know we we don't want to hurt but if we can get a glimpse of that through art then i think we can move forward yeah i agree and it just also makes me think of you know I have friends who are involved in certain movements here in New York against incarceration, against police brutality, to free political prisoners. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of friends who are organizers. So these are people who are, who have the wherewithal to be conscious of the statistics and and all of all of the awful things they're like the most aware of all those awful things and they're devoting their lives to trying to repair or revolutionize or heal, you know, to change what's going on. Um, and I think in various ways, music and the arts um, are really are really integral to, to those movements. Um, I don't speak from experience being an organizer. I'm definitely, definitely can't call myself that by any stretch, but I just have, I've seen the ways in which it's important to have joy and to have celebration and togetherness. And music is one really incredible way to have that. I mean, it's sort of what you were mentioning before that it can bring people together, even when people are very divided, um, that it's, it's, it can be a common ground and, yeah, just that. Just wanted to speak to the importance of celebration of mm. of what 
is wonderful about being alive and mm-hmm. of sharing that with others and you know uh, alternately like, like I know all these organizers who work together but I also have people in my life and I've experienced this who are very aware of everything that's going on and feel completely isolated by that awareness or w- in that awareness mm. they they know all these things they're reading about them and um, they're drowning in it because they don't have a community to talk about it with or that they don't have a way to feel involved that they can take any action that's relevant um, for various reasons. They're just not connected to those communities. And that's another kind of really dangerous place to be. Um, I was talking to my friend the other day too about how in New York, sometimes it's hard to be here because you witness so much life and so much suffering, whether it's someone who's on the subway, who's so, you know, in such poverty that they are asking people for money because that's the only way that they can get by, or whether it's someone who has a really high-paying job but but immense spiritual poverty or is very lonely, mm. or you know, there's all sorts of suffering and you see it every day. But I think what I'm trying to say is togetherness and community and sometimes celebration is mm-hmm. very necessary. And to tie back to that song that you just shared with us, the river song, you were speaking, or singing, rather, and in the the lyrics that you wrote, you pull out these images about prisons. For your process in performing that song, um, do you feel like your understanding on that issue has changed? Mm. Well, a little bit in that... um this it's sort of surprised me how much this song moves people of all the songs that I perform really of all the songs that I perform and especially the ones that I've written this is one that people really respond to also lots of different kinds of people um and so I'm still figuring out why that is but it's also been encouraging because it is um one of I feel the most I guess successful in my intention to tie together a lot of different things and express some fundamental beliefs that I have and questions that I'm asking and Mm -hmm. um, that that people are moved by it and is that is encouraging and inspiring Um, you know when I think about going on a tour like what I mentioned and sparking dialogue it's like I think you know if I were to go to some place and express some political beliefs just like talking about how I think (laughs) various things um say I were to just say I'm a prison abolitionist and this is why Mm -hmm. that might really rub a lot of people the wrong way Mm -hmm. but if I sing this song I'm hoping maybe if I sing this and it it moves people then then there's more opportunity for dialogue because I think partly because you know when you see someone sing perform anything especially with the voice it's like you have to reveal something pretty human about yourself and if someone's able to access that then I think they there's a little more trust um and openness and mm-hmm. yeah so that's been something I've thought about um but I guess another thing that I want to mention is trying to find ways of speaking to specific issues when I perform this and when I perform at all but um you know, I'm not a huge star or anything and don't really desire that. Ex- 
but I do perform and I have audiences and there's people that are listening and uh, I think it's sort of I feel a responsibility of mine to to mention the things that I believe in and that are important to me um, which isn't always easy because we don't talk about a lot of these things often and it can make some people uncomfortable when they're brought up uh, I'm still learning how to bring them up but I think it's very important and so I, I guess I'm going to talk about something right now that yeah. I think is, imp is important to mention and it's connected to everything we've been talking about you mentioned kind of how the military industrial complex and the prison industrial complex are very similar um and they even share they like share some of the same services and the same people are um profiting yes hmm. exactly um and and maybe probably a lot of the same people are suffering too for similar reasons um so th there's something that happened earlier this year on April 27th in the Williamsbridge neighborhood of the Bronx. There's housing projects called Eastchester projects. And um, in the middle of the night, 700 law enforcement officers from the FBI and ICE and the NYPD and other, other groups came into this projects and broke down doors and did a huge raid um, that they were calling a, a gang raid, you know, to, to find people involved in gangs. Um, they ended up arresting 120 young black men who are still being held in a prison in Brooklyn. Um, and there's been a lot of movement to get them released or to find out more about what's going on for them. And recently there was a court date in which families went down to the court and were put into a holding room, essentially, where there was very poor monitors um that were playing what was going on in the courtroom they were not allowed into the courtroom and they could barely hear what was going on and in these men are being held on rico charges which is conspiracy related charges um you know the in about their relationships to gangs or alleged relationships to gangs um 120 120 and i think there's even i think it's something like there's eight murders that they're linking people to there's eight murders and there's 120 people being held right now um and this is at a time when gang related violence has been a, is at a low you know it's like it's it's been on the decline since 2012 um and also the bronx is there's processes beginning to gentrify the bronx and a lot of people think there's connections there it's just like trying to clear out a certain mm. demographic of people in a certain neighborhood and i guess want to speak to this and say that if I had heard about this I mean still when I hear about it I'm appalled but I'm no longer shocked and if I had heard about this five years ago three years ago I think I would have maybe not believed it like a part of me would have said there's no way that's possible that you know 700 people and why it just seems so absurd and it is but um a big part of a big part of the past few years for me has been learning about certain realities of our government and what it does and the history of incarceration, how directly related to how, uh, what a direct legacy of slavery it is um, and what a direct legacy of that oppression, the current oppression is. And part of my way of learning about that has been through 
music because so much of the music that I love and the so much American folk music has its roots in songs that were written by enslaved peoples, by slaves in the beginning of the United States. Um, and that's something I think isn't acknowledged often enough is like the ancestry of our music. Um, so there's so much there <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's not, it's not simple, yeah. you know, it's complicated. I mean that the way when you describe it, it makes me, it makes me think of, you know, the very vague directives. I, cause I'm a veteran of the, the army. I deployed to Afghanistan and, um, you know, sometimes it would be like, oh, there's a person in this village and he's a bad guy. Go pick him up. Mm. Like I, I would have no idea or no like other reasoning aside from him being told or he has something that links him to someone who is linked to a known like insurgent leader or something. And uh, but we would I don't I can't remember how many people I, I just picked up mm. and um, we had a little um, like holding area and it was it's kind of a jumping off point for a larger detention facility um, and sometimes folks would get caught and released but you know this one time I, I had to watch them process um, a prisoner and it, it was just this, the most dehumanizing thing and I, and I was the catalyst for it. You know, I was the cause of it. Just like being stripped naked and searched, and, um, and what's, I, I feel an, an incredible amount of guilt about little things like that on top of the big, the big things. But what your music does when you talk about how people are responding, I think what it does is it, even though it's about incarceration and it's about kind of this journey through the South, um, what it activate, what it activated in me was uh, a humanization of my, of that guilt. Um, because you know as you're singing it's you're you're talking about your complicity in something that is large and terrible um mm. and y- when you mention like government in these systems that the other interesting extension of this is that we have a we have governance we have systems but they aren't an adequate substitute for culture when you talk about music building community and I'm, we talked about this before, but um, there, when I was in college, uh, my mom brought my siblings and I to this kind of holiday party at the Vietnamese embassy in DC because she was friends with um, one of the kind of um, consulars or ambassadors. And uh, there were, at the same time, these, these college exchange students from from Vietnam who had you know gone all over the United States like California Michigan um, to be exchange students and they, they they all came together for winter break to the to the embassy what I what I noticed there was that 
they all, I mean, they were all singing together. They knew the same songs. They, that, that, that was something that I kind of, that's when I realized that I can't reach for something like that here, here in the States as an American, like as a Vietnamese person, I can connect with it. But as, as an American, it's, it's harder to point to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. It's a unique experience <laughs> being. I mean, there's so many different experiences of America, of the United States of America. Um, but I think a lot of people feel whether they're recently their their families recently immigrated or for a long time. Some some search for for home, kind of home and a heritage, or home and um, in a community that has deep roots, even though maybe you don't, you know, or, or your family doesn't, or you're in a city that's constantly changing or where things are constantly being torn down and there's like almost no respect for, <laughs> for like historical landmarks besides mm-hmm. a few things, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big thing you speak to. And I guess I also just want to say that, well, I f- feel I need to say, you know, I don't have any answers to anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and there's a lot of people doing really good work out there who I think do have some, um, you know, in resistance to oppression and capitalism and a lot of things that divide people. But I guess I just wanted to speak to that song also and say, when I'm saying, you know, everybody's capable of great good and also of great evil and i think that i think that allows for greater compassion if you remember that um and and also i don't i don't want it to be misunderstood as me saying like you know i know that like those that person beat you up but you know they maybe they're having a bad day or you could beat someone up someday so let them off the hook that's like very simplistic but that's definitely not what i'm trying to say and like just acknowledge that i think compassion is a huge part of it even for the oppressors and also huge structural change um is going to be required for any real change to happen and a lot of people who have a lot of power and privilege that will have to change it seems like such um, a fine dance between acknowledging and knowing our history and reimagining the present, and that in order to make real change, it's making me think of Bob Dylan winning the Nobel Peace Prize. I feel like if we had some songs that different generations, at least for me, thinking of uh, with my family, we could sing together potentially um he would be that um or has provided some songs in that regard and i guess as we're nearing towards uh the end of the time that we have um i wanted to ask you both what your thoughts are in terms of you know if we look at that music um that Bob Dylan was doing in the 60s and I mean I know he's still writing but the music looking back at that time seemed so effective in a way of of as a tool for for protesting and uh, anti-war and for making 
mobilizing people to feel they can make a difference and perhaps you know other uh, change was able to happen because of the way that it organized people and brought people together um, do you think that we're there are this is happening today are we less effective at that especially as a um, as a musician Ali do you think you know from your point of view and then also in as a participant in in today's society and thinking about how music in general is effective in making change mm, that's a great question I'm definitely not the best person to answer the question but <laughs> um I think so I wouldn't <laughs> want anybody else sitting right here that could ask that too right now <laughs> I'll do my best just in my experience um you know, I wasn't alive in the 60s, <laughs> though sometimes I wish I was. Um, I hear about it from my parents, though they were quite young. Um, I mean, the music the music world has changed a lot, as the whole world has changed. Uh, access to music is a very different thing. That's the first thing that came to mind, is mm. that now it's like pretty overwhelming the amount of music you can listen to at any time if you have access to the internet or if you have an iPod and you have all your thousands of songs and in that time I think it was a lot more like I just got the new record like come over and we'll listen to it mm -hmm. and that's such a different experience to have like I, I I'm imagining I'm pr definitely idealizing but I've also spoken to my dad and I know that that's true like when he talks about when he first got a copy of Joni Mitchell's Blue and I think I think his friend invited him over to his dorm room and they listened to it together. And yeah. it's pretty rare that I sit down and listen to music with other people for listening, not just as background. Um, that's something I would like to change. But you think about that, how our, our culture of listening totally is different. Uh -huh. That affects a lot. Um, I think the radio has changed a lot. You know, and what's played on the radio and the, the big stations has changed. Though I don't, I don't know if Dylan where he was played or not played. Um, I'm just thinking about reaching people. Um, mm -hmm. But I, something I do see, and I can't, I can't compare because I don't know, is like, at least, you know, I know New York and I know there's a really strong local community. Like I was mentioning what goes on at Jalopy. And um, I know many different people feel really grateful for that place and like for the organizing that Eli does um so that's you know it's not reaching the entire world but also in an increasingly globalized world it's really I think there's a lot of there's the most strength in local community and small and like more yeah more more local perhaps smaller but really strong groups because that you're really connecting to one another and in that way music will always be a tool for solidarity and resistance because it always has the capacity to connect people. I, I think, I mean, I think of storytelling um, in all of its varying forms and I think about its relationship to the world that we live in and I, you know, we aren't ready to in this moment we 
aren't ready to sing with one another yet because there like we do still have this project in front of us where we have to connect people with the issues um i think of and this is a pop song <laughs> technically but i i think of uh brother can you spare a dime mm. um like that's that's kind of the song of it, it it seems like all the sentiments that were there are 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 ones that i i feel today um on top of many others um so storytelling should do many things but among them is it should be a disruptive force mm. So that we can kind of shake up what these dominant narratives are, and it's a response. It responsible artists like like Ali are going to kind of take take a story that we're comfortable with and turn it on its head, right? I think that I think that does happen in the River Song, where it you think of it. It's it's a very beautiful thing, but the subject matter is so much darker and and heavier than 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 the sound which is like beautiful and and graceful but i don't think i should have the last word i think <laughs> Thank you i for think ali should i think we should another, another song, song. <laughs> I actually love Brother Can You Spare a Dime. That's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> I don't know if I should do that. Maybe you should. Yeah. I love that song. Still relevant. me 
That was awesome. I'm so glad that came up. <laughs> yeah, nice job, Drew. Um, I thought Jay Gorney, does that sound familiar as the composer? I thought it was Yip Yarlberg or something. Yipsy, but maybe hmm. I'm wrong. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know you have a new album coming out, Allie, that's coming out in December very soon. Yeah, it's, it's called Light Comes In, and um, it's gonna, we're going to have a release concert at the Jalopy on December 4th, which is going to be a great time. So if you want to know more, you can look up Ali Deneen on the internet. And I also feel I should just mention the thing I mentioned before that happened in the Bronx. If you're interested in getting involved or supporting financially in any way, go to bronx120.org. Thank you for sharing that. We'll definitely put the link to your website, but the quick search for folks is to put in Ali Deneen and you'll, you'll find some of her uh, music and also beautiful drawings and illustrations. And um, yeah, I'm so glad that you played that song. I know there's so many wonderful ones on your, your new album that I've been lucky to hear a couple off of. And, um, but this was fantastic. I'm, I'm um, always wanting to hear more of your music and I think I'll be uh, listening to it definitely when uh, elections as they're getting closer mm -hmm. and in the nervous time around that and kind of the frenzied uh, atmosphere that that has brought um, especially this year and Drew it's been wonderful to have you in this conversation thank you so much for sharing your stories and questions and being here thank you Meredith thank you again Allie thank you and to our listeners out there, um, check out more of our conversations from the Leading Edge show. And also, um, we'll have a, a new episode next month in December. But so glad to have Ali Janine and Drew Pham here. And um, go vote. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. The music for this show was written and composed by Kevin Johnston and is titled... Kingdom Stowaway. <laughs>